0: I always talk about the cost of money. You must be aware that there is a cost of money that people don't just give you money, right? So there's obviously an equity cost and there's a cost in managing that money. And, and you need to be eyes wide open that it needs to be managed, right? Just like you would a tech resource or whatever else.
1: Hey, this is Jesse here. And you're about to hear my conversation with Lee from Future Anthem, which uses data and AI to personalize the player experience for everyone. Lee is an industry veteran that saw the personalization opportunity while growing the digital businesses of both Scientific Games and IGT, and he gives us an insightful look behind the curtain on everything he's now doing with Future Anthem. Lee shares his experience recently raising a multi-million dollar Series A, his insights on life as a B2B supplier in the betting industry, and he gives us his letter grade to the industry on its current efforts to deliver personalized experiences. Lee was a fantastic guest, and I hope you enjoy this episode. But before we get started, I wanted to ask a quick favor. If you've been enjoying the podcast and hearing from awesome entrepreneurs like Lee, please take 10 seconds to show your support by giving it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this episode. All right, here we are back with episode 42 of the Betting Startups podcast. And for this one, I'm joined by Lee from Future Anthem. Lee, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing very good. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Absolutely appreciate you joining. I think if I had to suggest one guest that it's been recommended that I have on more than anybody, Future Anthem's (laughs) name has probably come up at the top of that list. Lisa, really excited to get into things here today with you. Um, Maybe just to start off, it'd be great if you could spend a couple of minutes just introducing yourself and maybe taking the folks listening through a little bit of your background and maybe some of the major chapters of your journey up until the founding of Future Anthem.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So I came into online gambling in 2005. Well, online since 99 uh, and then on to online gambling in 2005 as a, as a hot sector started running a white label bingo business successfully that we sold to gtech and then with gtech they gave me exposure not just in bingo uh, but more broadly into poker casino and sports and yeah great event and lottery as well so great adventure in, in gtech and transitioning something into gtech um i did a little startup after GTech, it was focused on personalized selling at the point of sale in retail and suggestive selling. So that kind of whole concept of, you know, would you like fries with that, sir? It was very early in terms of kind of portable tech, and we were doing in retail, lottery and betting. So, uh, yeah, kind of long cycles there, but certainly, you know, my, probably my first introduction to kind of real personalization. Uh, and then after that, i um, got for a great role to run IGT's digital business, and then also became the chief exec of Nectown, a public company, and most lately, before Future Anthem, was um, was running SG's digital business. So again, a, one of the unique privileged position of having led both IGT and SG's digital businesses to industry leaders, and it's really from my experience in SG and IGT that I launched Future Anthem. So I had a period of extended gardening leave. Uh, post the acquisition of myx Uh, and i thought about you know where's next opportunities clear i wanted to stay in the in the gambling sector and really everyone was telling me they could do more with their data and uh, were keen to do more with their data and i was managing these roadmaps and you know signing off on like half a million dollars of r d into game development for each game and really just seeing how little people were using their game data to really make decisions so the Future Anthem was born to, 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 listen to these, you know, vast number of slot machines online and try and predict player behaviors, not just as a consultancy, but to try and make real-time recommendations to improve player experiences. Here we are just about three years later good team, good tech, and all those good things. But yeah, it's been a, been a fantastic journey in, in gambling for the last 17 years now. So I feel like a veteran in the sector, seen a lot built a big network, uh, had lots of uh, enjoyable moments. And uh, Yeah, very happy I came into the sector from from digital in 99. it been a privilege to work in the sector uh, for this period here.
1: Amazing. Well, that's quite a history. And obviously it's all led up to, I guess, where we're at now with Future Anthem in the past three years. And I'm excited to unpack everything personalization here, Lee. And I think maybe just to start off with on that topic, you know, I think it's important we set a backdrop here. Personalization, at least to me, is one of these words that is a bit of a buzzword. And and it's almost to the point where it's been, I think, used probably out of context too many times, such that I think the definition is almost lost. Now, so I'm curious just to start off here to set the backdrop. It'd be great if you could give us a a working definition of how you define personalization and, and what it means to you within the context of digital experiences
0: yeah great question uh, and I think your observation uh, is a correct one in that every business we talk to has personalization somewhere on their agenda but also many organizations struggle with it for a number of different reasons but really the the digital experiences outside of gambling are increasingly personalized I mean obviously everyone refers to things like Spotify which you know is a clear leader uh, in terms of how it amazes and continues to publish music i never even thought i liked let alone knew so their algorithms are very strong but you know whether you're picking up a bulb or an uber or you're ordering from deliveroo i mean the level of personalization you see running through that is, is, is is so high and so strong the expectation from a consumer is increasingly high that you know in the gambling experience that you should publish the content that is relevant and personal to me and Too many recommendation engines still publish just popular games. For example, those popular games may be games I've lost a lot of money on and I don't want to play. Thank Thank you very much. Right. And then not really understanding the difference between a Red Tiger game and a Blueprint game and an IGT game. And same in sports. You know, I bet the same thing every week. Uh, It takes me nine clicks to get there. So for me, personalization is the bets that I want to make, you know, an hour, two hours before the match. Mm. And they're, 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 they're there as a default. So I don't have to do nine clicks. I don't have to remember to go to the app to do it. And at the moment, I think a lot of the experiences are still very uh, horizontal. They're, they're, they're not really personalized to me. So add your your personalizations, it really, you know, understands consumer behaviors and recommends content or promotions to that individual player where they are in their life's journey as well, because new players and their experiences are hugely different to uh, players who've been playing a long time and are kind of more product aware and or as we look at you know we have consumers that are more diverse so they try lots of different things and they have consumers that are very loyal they just do certain things so again personalization is really trying to get to that one-to-one level of auto and ideally in real time there's nothing that, that people don't talk about so much but there are some personalization efforts but they're often off-site or late after a consumers left and, yeah, we see from our numbers and impacts that, you know, if you can interact with the consumer in real time, like, you know, you, you're talking four or five X, the, the KPIs that, that, that you're, you're achieving when the consumer is already left. So real time and daily and hourly, these are also really important considerations when you, when you think about personalization.
1: No, that's great, and I think also just to level set here when we talk about, I guess, the wider betting industry at large. Here, if you were uh, a teacher and you were going to issue a report card to the industry in terms of its efforts currently to deliver truly personalized customer experiences, how would you just sort of rate the betting industry's capability overall with personalization today? You know, agnostic to any one individual operator.
0: Yeah, tough question. also awesome me too. to uh, rate the industry right there, but. I don't know if this translates into the way Americans uh, do their uh, grades, but in English, we would say like a C plus trying, but must do better. Uh, You know, it's kind of how I think about it. So uh, quite a long way to go, particularly if you consider real time versus daily. So Mm. like I say, some people have some things in place they might be on one product, certainly not across all their products. It might not be consistent. Uh, It's often not in real time. So yeah, C plus uh, trying, but must do better is kind of how I think about it. C plus is probably, you know, in the 55% uh, range when you get a grade. So just for those of you that don't deal with UK grading system, <laughs> it's in that 55 to 60 mark uh, that you get on that paper when it comes back to you.
1: Right. So we're technically passing, but a lot of room for improvement still, it sounds like.
0: Yes, I would say so. I would <laughs> say so.
1: Cool. All right. Well, with that as a backdrop, Lee, let's take a bit of a deeper dive then into Future Anthem and start to unpack what it is you're up to here. So again, for the benefit of folks listening that might not be maybe as familiar with Future Anthem or just sort of this whole concept of personalization and AI, can you just give us an overview of uh, what Future Anthem does today and, and essentially what customer problem is it solving for those companies that you're working with?
0: Yeah. So, you know, we talk about player experience and improving the player experience. And also really intentionally we 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 call it improving the player experience for everyone because it's not just for the operator it's for the consumer it can be for the regulator uh, as well so you know we're very keen that gambling is seen as an entertainment experience and and a good one you know from our working responsible gambling which is which is very significant you know ninety five ninety six percent of consumers gamble sustainably happily is about three or 4% that have some level of risk sometimes, but not all the time. And it really is, you know, around a half percent that are genuine high risk. So we're, we're focused on the entire base and and trying to improve the experience and that entertainment experience and and make it an enjoyable one. So in terms of how we do that is we uh, generally take anonymized uh, data from our customers, bet data, transactional data. Uh, and from that, we've built, you know, over 40 machine learning models that work in production to try and predict certain things, whether it's exit, whether it's risk, uh, propensity to come back, whatever it might be. And uh, we run our models against that data and we create recommendations and we fire those recommendations out to our customers. And those recommendations are either delivered advice, you know, CRM, via on the website, through interstitials even directly into the games themselves so you know we work a lot in game so it really depends what consumer touch points are available to us to make a recommendation uh, directly to that consumer so, so you could not only influence their uh, behaviors but you can also measure the impact so what has a consumer gone on to do after that intervention uh, and again like you know we're seeing you know, real-time interventions, you know, players increase their play by like 130% when, when, when you, you have a real-time interaction with them. So uh, these interactions are very powerful, um, but measurement is, is a critical component. So we do that as well. So coming back to the beginning, it's really optimizing that whole journey, but using transactional data to, to, to do that, ideally in real time.
1: No, I appreciate that explanation and overview that definitely gives a lot of context to what it is future Anthem is doing. And I'm curious as well, Lee, you know, you just run us through a couple of quick use cases for the platform and some of the predictive capabilities that it has. I'm just curious and. A lot of the conversations that you have with operators, whether that be existing operator partners or prospective ones in those conversations, is it one use case in particular that really drives those conversations? Or is it a case where the operators are generally recognizing that they need this capability, as you say, across responsible gaming, across CRM, across on-site, um, or is it really one use case that's driving them to the conversation? Can you sort of take us through kind of what the feedback is that you're receiving in these conversations?
0: Yeah. So I think at initial level, there's interest everywhere because like I said, most companies have personalization high on their agenda, but struggle with it. And they struggle with it often because there are regulatory pressures that they have to adjust to and uh, navigate towards. Uh, they want to open a new market. So there's always competing priorities. Uh, and so, you know, the kind of resource to work cross-discipline and cross product on personalization. Is often a hard uh, objective to to achieve. So, a company like Future Anthem coming in and kind of being specialist in this area and helping them achieve that goal, really as an addition to their existing team and a compliment to their existing team, is very uh, positive. It's positively received uh, when you're when you're when you're when you're talking to an operator or, or a studio or a content provider. And so, you know, that's kind of the initial point. And then, as you explore the conversation, it usually focuses in on a particular area, commercially, you know, new player activation and and how you can do a better job at converting all of these new players you're working so hard to bring mm-hmm. to their website, you know, is a, is a key focus and just like when you have them and they are converted, how do you retain them? Mm-hmm. So retention is, is like the, the next you're aligned to that kind of key objective of acquiring and, and retaining. So we see that as the biggest. But then you can start to go much more granular on that. You know, it's like, yeah, in terms of where is your churn challenge, how can we address particular areas? It might vary by market, by product. So you do, particularly in the early days, intentionally work in a quite narrow way. uh, So you can really focus and prove your capability, your commitment and your improvements, and you can measure them. So yeah, it starts almost individually, but it kind of quickly broadens from there, particularly because it's a single platform that we have running off multiple, the same data set, single platform with multiple outcomes. Yeah. It doesn't really change for us. The only thing that changes for us, the endpoint in, in which we're publishing too. So whether it's a, an exit prediction or a risk score it's the same data for us and it's the same consumer It's all based on their behaviors. So yeah, uh, commercial first and then kind of pushing through to these other use cases.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It'd um, be great as well to understand a little bit about just where the business is at in the journey. I know you mentioned at the outset here, it's been sort of three years to date. Um, there's some milestones you hit recently, which we'll talk about in a few moments. So I'm just wondering, again, for folks listening, if you can contextualize um, where the business is at and what kind of traction it has, however you care to measure that.
0: Yeah. So recently I called it like the end of the beginning is how we feel about it. So the platform li- went live in like October 19, right? So the platform's almost three years old now and processed almost 200 billion transactions. Mm. So uh, it's a very significant data platform. So it's not really when the business was established because you spend the first six months kind of building your early team members, figuring out where you're going to build the stuff, so you know, validating some of your hypotheses with potential customers, and all those good things. Um, so really, you know, with our Series A round, which we closed in in July, mid July, for me that was really the end of the beginning. You know, we'd signed up a, a handful of you know big tier one and you know great customers and doing some amazing things with a good team. But really now, the next stage was to broaden out from casino into sports, Europe to North America, probably doubling the size of the team within the next period here. Uh, so really, you know, moving to that next stage of maturity. So if you like, that summer kind of closure from that first phase is how we think about ourselves and now really trying to bed down things like our product processes so they're more scalable, more repeatable, deepening our teams. So, you know, we're not light in any particular area. We can capitalize on some of our opportunity set that's in front of us. I I kind of think about in that first phase as being very much around establishment. So we've we've definitely established, uh, but really this next phase is about kind of capitalizing on some of the opportunities that are in front of us and growing our business and scaling ourselves and our processes uh, through that program.
1: Yeah, I I read a fantastic piece that you published on LinkedIn, I believe titled the same thing, the end of the beginning. And it sort of uh, documents the, I guess, distinction you had where you're you're sort of recognizing that you maybe have completed the startup phase of the journey and you're sort of entering this next phase uh, to call it maybe a scale up phase or however you want to characterize it. But it's interesting, Lee, just to maybe have you elaborate on that just for a moment and maybe take us through how you thought about that at the time and just sort of arrived at that distinction that that was the moment where, you know, the startup phase was behind you and it was sort of the next chapter that, that future Anthem was really stepping into.
0: Yeah. Good, good, good good question. So this fundraising wasn't our first uh, and I kind of tie it back to that because I just promised myself I'd always capitalize the business properly um and not you know redeeming people's data right so security is top of our minds all the time protection of data so our our goal always was to make sure that we did things well uh, and uh, didn't kind of skimp or cut corners it was really when i was watching all the activity in north america and just sometimes found ourselves to be a little out of line with a customer roadmaps because it was north america north america north america and you know we were happily winning business in europe but kind of hadn't really pushed down to north america and just figured look we've got to be in line with, with the industry and realized i couldn't we couldn't we couldn't necessarily fund that ourselves and linked to that with sports betting because obviously sports being regulated first for casino which was at the main expertise so boy and a gentleman who was previously head of product at william hill to figure out whether we could transfer into sports so yeah the problematics are the same the models are the same it's just a different data set so we started to talk to a few people about you know moving to sports most notably some of our existing customers and i found that you know the doors were wide open it was like yes please we, there's loads more we can do on personalization and really interestingly for me is like the dna is quite different in sports to 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 casino, so casino like it's quite. A, I, I call it you know a bit of a closed data ecosystem. The data resides in pockets; it's all you know hidden away. Whereas in sports, it's an open day data ecosystem. You know everyone wants to do more, and there's lots and lots of data to go out. How can you help me grow my market share? So, so again, like wild kind of positive you know lean in approach in sports, uh, and so it just felt like the the right thing. Okay, we're doing really well on casino, but if we're going to scale and grow this. We need to be relevant and it comes back to the player because you want to do the whole player 360 journey not just their experience in gaming either so it just everything fell into place really at the turn of last year and it was like it was obvious we needed to do this to hit our next level Uh, and so we started a a process to 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 raise funds Uh, we got ourselves investor ready in q1 you know we got a good offer from uh, better capital who we've been talking to since last summer in the summer of 21 and so they made a good offer to us at ice we had a quick turn on negotiating got to a good place did the paperwork real quick uh, got really good support from our existing shareholders who had respected our momentum our achievements and what we were aiming to achieve Uh, and so everything fell into place real real well over the summer and it it concluded you know relatively quickly so again long answer to your question that it was at the turn of last year that it just felt like the right thing to do, and it was all about capitalizing the business properly to achieve its opportunity and and we did that and with with strong support throughout so uh, it, it continues to feel really positive like that and the people we've brought on the, the new investors plus our existing investors they're very keen to help us grow our business so they're like beacons in the industry helping us with you know customers opportunities even team and so yeah, it's a very very positive uh, approach which uh, yeah. we we certainly enjoyed uh, to this point.
1: Yeah, well, congratulations on the fundraise, which as you say was announced in July and Better Capital led the round with participation from a number of industry investors. And just curious, Lee, just to briefly elaborate on your previous point there, um, as you. You know, went out there in Q1, as you say, and sort of got investor ready and started the roadshow. And I assume spoke with with many different investors before ultimately partnering with the ones that that you have. What was some of the feedback that you'd heard out there, just in the conversations with prospective investors, more around the opportunity that Future Anthem is pursuing and um, sort of the problem space that that you're entering?
0: Yeah, maybe just talk about this from your listeners' perspective because I think there were some interesting things. The first thing that was kind of disappointing but unsurprising is 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 not many traditional funds like investing in the gambling sector so you know we were on a uk program that helps ai businesses and a lot of these kind of health tech and reg tech businesses were kind of going through traditional piles with traditional vcs and you know and you know, but the number were like sorry, we don't do gambling we don't do gambling so you, you necessarily have a smaller universe to 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 tap into so you know that i hadn't realized how kind of start that was but that became apparent quite quickly and then you know as you go through the process uh, i always talk about having investors who understand your business and again we've been fortunate since day one so not just in terms of better capital numbers but we've got a number of private shareholders who've been very successful in the industry and they really understood what we were trying to do so it was very obvious to them Uh, and when you align that to having a strong management team and some evidence of what you're saying in terms of customer signups they kind of get those things lining up. And so their level of yeah, information they might need to support their decision is a lot lighter than again, some others who are less experienced or don't know so much. And that in turn, I think filters through to the kind of terms and, and how you structure your, your finance. Uh, so because it's more understandable, they, it seems that you have a lot more balance in terms of the terms and what comes out the other side. So. I always talk about the cost of money. You must be aware that there is a cost of money, that people don't just give you money, right? So there's obviously an equity cost. And there's a cost in managing that money. And and you need to be eyes wide open that it needs to be managed, right? Just like you would a tech resource or whatever else, or a tech team or a commercial team. And therefore, it's really important to get the right shareholding structure. So for us, it was North America. So we really wanted someone in North America. And because we always knew in the post-COVID world that, to be successful in that market we'd need local representation we couldn't do it from london uh, and so again that was a really important component And also, you only wanted one lead investor rather than a whole host uh, and again we got that lead quite quickly and you can then build around a, a a financial round around that that lead which which we did so again i like, hope i'm answering your question there but mm. i think a handful of pointers and there's probably more uh, if your listeners want to kind of, you know, hit me up on some of the insights, but definitely not everyone invests in gambling. So focus where people do, you know, uh, really value investor understanding because it really helps you long-term and don't underestimate the cost of money because you know, it's an asset and it's, it's a privilege and you need to manage it as such, it's not something you should take for granted ever. And it's the lifeblood of your business as well. Right. Mm. It's what funds everything. So, and, and maybe the final point, which. Again, I think we've done quite well intentionally is never under Right. You know, because, you know, things can take longer opportunities present themselves that you don't expect. So being able to capitalize on those is not even a negative, right? Like you might run out I and mean, it's not, if you've got enough money, you can consider new opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise. So, you know, and in our instances, you know, rather than put a squad of two behind some you, you can put a squad of three, you know, behind mm-hmm. it, you know, you mitigate your risk of failure. So. Don't undercapitalize again. It would be my strong guidance to anybody who's looking to raise So
1: no, I appreciate those insights and experience sharing Lee. And there are, you know, a number of folks that do listen to this podcast. I know many of whom are actively trying to raise right now. So I hope those insights are uh, actionable and useful for them. And I think on a similar note, before we wrap up here today, one other question I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about, just given your history and particularly on the B2B side of the industry. Just curiously, if you could talk briefly about, I guess, the current state of B two B suppliers within the industry, and for future Anthem being one of them, right? You're obviously selling a solution into operators. What does the landscape look like these days for companies that are selling into operators? And I guess I'm asking the question from the perspective of the earlier stage companies in the ecosystem, many of whom, you know, are led by entrepreneurs that maybe don't have that depth of industry experience, maybe don't necessarily understand what they're getting into, uh, trying to, to integrate with an operator. I'm just trying to get a sense of what does life look like right now for a b2b supplier yeah. trying to get their products integrated and live with an operator
0: yeah yeah it's a good call out and uh you know i'm probably a bit biased here just calling that out because i you know, leveraging my network over the last 17 years really helps because you know we we can get into most places uh, if you don't have that knowledge and understand you know that openbet powers you know a vast number of sports puts globally and how it came to be and in its different ownership guises at different points, or you know, a Light and Wonder was SG, was Nix, you know, and, and how all these different businesses kind of come to be it is quite hard to navigate. And you can probably spend a lot of time talking to customers or opportunities that aren't that big or real, and they feel big or real. So I think it's really hard if you come in as a new entrant. And we really benefit from that. So as our management team, you know, we have a chief data officer came from online and retail uh gaming and uh, casino and and, and, and bigger operator we've got you know sportsbook X. we've got gaming expertise across our business so uh, i think it is a real head start if you do have the expertise that said you know again through this investor network you know a couple of our new investors have been really proactive in terms of pushing us into new customer opportunities and not just us like a number of their portfolio companies so we kind of sit on if you like a little um, and how you work, use the word like portfolio demos, where we each get a fifteen minute slot in you know, a two hour window to you know some of these corporates, that are really hard. So I think that the fabric of how these investors are helping their investees get access is really improving and developing. So I think again it comes back to getting the right investors because uh, they can facilitate that um, that that introduction. And yeah, B two B just accept it can take a little bit of time, right? Because you don't necessarily control your destiny the, the dude you're working with at the, the client might change jobs and you also go back a bit um there could be you know like a regulatory change and everyone jumps off to the next thing and you push back but once you're in you know it's your opportunity to really embed and grow and expand uh, and my experience b2b has really good longevity as long as you have a good product and you provide a good service and it's reasonably priced so it's very enriching but yeah it's uh it's it's definitely a network to navigate for sure
1: I appreciate you shedding some light on that I do feel personally as though that's one of the maybe least understood areas of the ecosystem right now for some of the earlier stage companies trying to get up and and, and running in it. So I appreciate your insights and experience there Lee and that takes us to the final question for today, which is the hardest one out of all of them to the extent we have hard ones here on this podcast. My standard closing question if you weren't working in betting, uh, or in any of your past careers or doing anything in AI or technology in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead?
0: Oh, you know, well, that's such a hard question, you know, like uh, obviously there's the boring traditional answer of, you know, I always wanted to be a VC and never was. I also, that's a few different points, Wanted to work with my wife's business that that focuses on diversity and inclusion, jobs for mums returning to work and and over fifties. But again, that opportunity has never really just crystallized. So if i was not doing any betting or past careers doing any that uh in tech yeah again I'd probably people give you the answer sportsman but you know what i probably would probably be doing if i had my one thing i'd probably be a ski instructor because i there love skiing and uh you know i did a ski season i'm actually like professionally trained so i could be a pro mm. professor kind of monitor like as it was in the guide rather than a like sports gear and uh, that that's my happy place so uh in the mountains, exercising, and uh, enjoying myself. So I'd be, I'd be a skier, touring the mountains uh, at my leisure would be the things I'd, I'd really like to do.
1: Well, that's just a fine answer and maybe potentially something for a future <laughs> chapter uh, way down the road from now. Um, Lee, for folks listening that might want to learn more about Future Anthem, maybe get a sense of what the product can do and or get in touch with you, how would you best suggest they go about doing that?
0: Yeah, I think at two levels, like every company in the industry has different stages of their personalization journey, and we're keen to speak to all of them and we're equipped to speak to all of them. So through the website, please reach out, get in touch. Uh, We'd love to have a conversation with you, however early or advanced you are, We're we're confident we can help and you'll enjoy our products uh, and and working with us. So that's obviously through the website and all the usual channels. But again, just important call out here. You know, there are a handful of us that talk quite regularly on Skype or whatever, early startups, different stages, different problems, opportunities. You know, my personal email is lead on this in at futureanthem.com. Please get in touch, be happy to have a coffee, quick Skype chat, whatever. If I can offer some guidance and some of my experience, some do's and some don'ts, be delighted to, because this ecosystem is important. There's not that many companies that are trying to, you know, influence and change the sector like we are and, and to innovate. So, you know, if I can be a personal assistance along, uh, you know, anybody's journey on this, on this podcast, then please uh, reach out. And I'd be uh, delighted personally to have a, uh, a chat to you as well uh, to, to,
1: to help on your journey. Well, it's a generous offer. I do hope some folks take you up on that. I will drop links in the show notes to all of the touch points for yourself and Future Anthem. But in the meantime, Lee, it was great to have you on today. Learn more about the business and everything you're up to. Really wishing you and the team uh, much success in the future here and look forward to continuing to follow the story.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me. Now again, uh, it was like a privilege, so I really appreciate it. Thank you.